We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Paul teaches against being a bad dad, and he tells fathers how to be successful with their families. And I want to talk to you today about these all-star dads. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the house. Would you please give them a hand right now? I know we've honored you and photo ops and gifts to all the dads in the house as you leave today. And a lot of us are wearing all-star dad buttons by faith, right? And I understand, uh, just because this is where, you know, we go to church, that there are some fathers to be in the house. Some of you are expectant families, and some of you fathers to be for the first time, and some of you not for the very first time. So this is a very, very special day, and also to help us be better at what God has called us to be. I also want to acknowledge today uh, many of you in this house who had a godly father, a good father, but perhaps he's passed away. My wife and I have both lost our fathers. Her dad passed away on October 14th in 1980 at the young age of 49. We've just been married a couple years, and when her father suddenly passed away, and we know the trauma of seeing that and uh, all of the difficulty that comes with the sudden passing of a dad who is very young and an amazing man, a Christian man. Now, my dad passed away on July 23rd, 2015 at the age of 88, a day after my mom and dad's 66th wedding anniversary. My dad was very, very low, but it seemed like he just held on to make it past their anniversary uh, to not die on that day. So I give honor to their memory uh, because my wife and I were blessed to have all-star dads who were wonderful, godly men who were active in their churches but also connected and uh, present in their homes. So I, I thank the Lord for that. But also on a day like this, I have to acknowledge and just make sure you know that I'm aware that some of you did not have a father in your life. Uh, perhaps he passed away before you were born or because of divorce or separation. Your father was not there. Or maybe if he was, maybe he was not an all-star dad. We live in a broken world, and as a church, we do our best to teach and preach the principles and to bring us back to health. You've heard me say before that my dad did not have a godly father, but he found the Lord in his early adulthood and found his example uh, in the church, his pastor and other men who helped my dad become what I would say is an all-star dad. But I want to really take a moment to applaud those of you who did not have a, a father influence in your life of a godly father. And yet you've looked past that relationship to come to church on a Father's Day. For some people that's not an easy thing to do. And you've looked through the earthly imperfection of your, your father's and look to the heavenly Father who is perfect, and you have found in Him the Father of all mercies. Amen? 
So one more time, would you just please acknowledge all the fathers in the house. And I also want to brag on all the children of regular dads. Amen. The Bible said in Proverbs 17, 6 that children's children, grandchildren, are the crown of old men and the glory of children is their fathers. Now you may not know this, but ladies and gentlemen, I want to make you aware right now that you are sitting among stars today. You're sitting near greatness. It's all around you. You're surrounded by all-star dads. You didn't know this, but you're seated next to legends. No autographs until after church, please. Guys, don't give them out now. You've just been discovered. And if you don't think that men around you who are fathers are all-star dads, just ask their kids because they believe it. Amen? And those of you who are dads get to wear an all-star button today. The investment that you're making in your children and your home and for many of us, our grandchildren, is making an eternal difference. And I want to pause to say that I'm blessed, my wife and I, with three sons and I've watched them become fathers and really be excellent fathers. And I'm so proud of Ryan, Joel, and Justin. And Ryan, uh, Joel is here today. And I love you very much. And I appreciate you being our student pastor and giving yourself to uh, three weeks of camps along with other people. Anyway, we have some uh, group text messages. Anybody in a group, text message group? Can I see your hand? You're in a text message group. Well, I'm so sorry. So we have a... J train, John's, and then the Atlanta J train, and we, with my boys and me, we have a guys only, and then I have a siblings and spouses text for my sister brothers and spouses, and then we have a siblings only text, you know, taking care of my mom, and then we have a, just my two brothers and me, just the three of us, and we're in a little group text. Thursday at 1.33 p.m., I started getting texts. And a couple pictures from my middle brother, Darren. I'm the oldest, Daryl, Darla, Darren, David. So Darren starts sending text messages to us. Darren loves to fish, and he goes deep-sea fishing a lot. And he had his two grandsons with him. Jesse's nine. Wesley is five years old. And these two little boys reeled in a six-foot, five-inch sailfish on Thursday afternoon. While we were over here landlocked in Georgia... They're down there fishing, you know, and looking at those pictures, it was just amazing. And my two brothers and I, we usually, that's what we do with our group texts. It's fishing pictures or hunting pictures or little things just to stay in touch. And I'm looking at this big fish in the boat, you know, they release it. And I'm looking at these two little boys and we're, we're like blown away. Like what two little kids, nine and five year old, reeling a sailfish. I mean, in my lifetime, I've hooked a marlin, hooked a sailfish, both got off. All I did said is goodbye to me. And these two little boys have caught this. So our youngest brother, David, in the text, you know, he's, he's looking at this. We're looking, and David said, if they could only know how incredible that was. I mean, two little boys, their papa takes them fishing. They catch a six-foot-five-inch sailfish. And Darren, in his modest manner, texts back and says, I quote, as awesome as they think I am, they still don't have a full understanding of just how awesome this was. I mean, most of us catch little bluegill like this, you know. These, these boys just think that's, the, that's normal life. Now, if you ask 
Jesse and Wesley, they would tell you that their papa is an all-star dad. And grandchildren are the crown of old men and the glory of children is their father's. And I'm just going to tell you today, Dad, I know that when you look in the mirror, you see your imperfections, you know you have a long way to go to be like the Lord. But when your kids look up at you with admiration, they see the greatest dad in all the world. I want to tell you today that you are an all-star dad, and you need to applaud them again right now because we've got some great men in this house right now. Got some amazing all-star dads. What, what makes you an all-star? Just because you show up? You know, it's not like a participation trophy. That's not what an all-star dad is, an all-star performer. But an all-star, by great effort, has distinguished him or herself among the field of players in that particular sport and has been recognized and acknowledged as someone who has exhibited stellar performance above the pack, above the average, just exceptional. That's what an all-star is. It separates you from all the rest. And in Major League Baseball, where the idea of the all-star game was started, in 1933 at the World's Fair by Arch Ward, who was a sports editor for the Chicago Tribune back then. The game was so popular, they started playing it every year. And everybody's kind of adapted that idea. In football, it's all pro, but in basketball, hockey, soccer, everybody wants to be an all-star, but not everybody knows how to or is willing to put in the sweat and the discipline to realize that, that the reward is worth all the work that you've got to go through to get there. And so I want to tell you today, I want to share with you some ideas about how to be an all-star dad. Because I think it's very, very important that it doesn't happen just because you're a biological father. You know, we know people all around us who have exercised that ability to become a father uh, biologically, but they're certainly not an all-star dad by the way they've lived their lives. But today, in this place, there are some all-star dads. And by the end of this coaching session today, you're going to be even better. And I hope I am too. Now, there are a lot of criteria of all-star dads. I've chosen four. I want to focus on just four things today uh, to try to help you grow into greatness so you'll make the all-star cut, so you'll really be worthy of wearing this little button that you got when you came in the door today because your kids already believe it, right? Just going to tell you. They believe it. Uh, my dad's better than your dad, stronger than your dad. You know how that goes. So today we're going to earn the button all-star dad. So I want to talk to you and say that all-star dads are providers. An all-star dad is a protector. An all-star dad is a teacher. And an all-star dad is patient and merciful. Before you go home today, I hope that you'll gain a couple insights into the Word of God that will help you be an even better dad. So the next time we vote on all-stars, you won't be left out. I believe that when God created men, he put in them a natural ability and a desire to be providers for their family. I know when Adam was in the garden, God gave him a job. He put him in a perfect paradise, but he gave him work to do. And even when Adam was expelled, he would go, and the Bible said, in the sweat of his brow, he would earn a living. He would work to provide for his family all the days of his life. 
And inside of the heart of a man is a desire to work, to do his best, and to provide for his family. I know there's deadbeat dads out there, but there's nobody in the house here today that doesn't get up in the morning or whenever you go to work and say, my family is important to me and I'm going to go earn a good living. I'm going to be the very best that I can because I am going to take care of my family. We were wired to be providers. That's how God made men and all star dads are providers for their family. We recognize that our family is counting on us. So all-star dads give their best to their career. They improve themselves. They don't just go to work and bide their time. They don't just do the same thing 20 years in a row. But they're always trying, like that Japanese word kaizen, to be continuously better, to improve every day. Maybe to earn more money, to be recognized, or to get a bonus. But you know that at home, there's a wife and kids who are counting on you to go do your best to provide for them. That's what all-star dads do. All-star dads don't get fired from stealing on the job or loafing around. All-star dads bring their best game to every day on the job because they know their family is counting on them. That's what all-star dads do. I remember my dad is a very hard worker. Got up every morning and went to work, you know, five days a week. He worked around the house. He worked at church as a volunteer, Sunday school Song leader, choir leader, uh, involved in various ways, helped work at the church, physical things. When I was about eight years old, seven to eight years old, we built a brand new church and my dad and mom would go several nights a week. All the men would show up and they worked building that church. My dad was a carpenter. He built an addition on our home. He helped my Uncle Tom build his house. My dad built an addition onto my grandparents' house, and my brother David and I were able to help him. I remember one day my dad came home from work, and he had a, a large gash down his bicep. I don't remember which side. And a nail had just ripped through there. A form had fallen or something like that. And all of my dad's life, he had this big scar, like a rough scar down his arm. That's just part of being at work. Now, my wife said that this was kind of gross, but, you know, you get injured at work if you're a carpenter. And one, dad, one day my dad, I don't know if he hit his finger or got smashed somehow, and it was black and red. And, you know, just a tough dad. He sat down at the table and took a little drill bit, just drilled through his fingernail to relieve the pressure there. And, you know, he's an all-star dad to me. I watched it like, oh, my goodness. I'm not going to try that, you know. Hurt his back, hurt his knees, hit in the head. You know, that's, but you just get up and you go back to work again as soon as you're able. And you do your best because dads were made to provide for their families. My dad was a carpenter, never made a lot of money. But at Christmas time, I remember at least one year, my dad got a second job at Western Auto as a salesman so we could have a little bit better Christmas. That's just the kind of stuff my dad did. When construction was slow, he took another job. They were filming a movie down in the Florida Keys, and my dad got a job working down there. And uh, because there was no work in Miami, that's what he did. You just do that for your family. That's what all-star dads do. You know, the Bible says that, that God is a heavenly father, that he gives life and breath 
and all things to his family. Good earthly fathers, like our heavenly fathers, provide, our heavenly father provides what we need. Shelter, food, clothing, necessities of life. Our kids shouldn't have to beg for that. <clears throat> Those are the kind of things that fathers just provide for their families. Yesterday, we were at the funeral of, of Jim Duncan, Jimmy and Christina's dad. And the pastor was talking about what a hard worker he was. That he went to work every day. He went to work sick. He provided for his family. And at the funeral, there were flowers there and acknowledgement from people he had worked with. Because that's what all-star dads do. You may not think that it's very important or that it's very uh, sensational, but that's what all-star athletes do. They don't just play under the lights, but they get up every day, they go work, they go work out, and they make sure they bring their very best to the game that they play in life. And I want to commend every dad for doing the very same thing that makes you, in my book, an all-star dad. I want you to see something in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your, for your life. What you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. And then he talks about the Lord taking care. And it dawned on me, and I kind of, you know, ran this by my wife, because I've heard stories of kids growing up and, Maybe they weren't being very good and parents would send them to their room without dinner. Like, I don't know, I was thinking about that. And uh, Jesus told his children, his family, his disciples, that our Heavenly Father takes care of us, maybe even when we don't deserve it. In fact, the Bible said that he makes his reign. This is Matthew 5.45. He makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. The Lord doesn't look down from heaven and see sinners and say, all right, it's going to be dark for you tomorrow. When it rains, the rain that brings growth and tree life and plant life and gives us the ability to eat, God doesn't just do that for good people. He does that for everybody. So I know we need in our families reward and punishment and, and making sure that they're in sinners with our kids. But I think that it's important for every all-star dad to know that we take care of our family and we don't threaten our kids with depriving them of basic necessities of life. But all-star dads provide for their children when they're good, when they're bad. Every day, that's what all-star dads do. And if you believe that, say amen. All-star dads are providers. Secondly, all-star dads are protectors. In his wisdom, God gave men the mental, emotional, and physical attributes to protect their children. And I know that mothers are protective as well. And I preached one year at Mother's Day on grizzly bears and, you know, like that instinct. You know, the Bible talks about like a, a mother bear robbed of her whelps. You know, she can be vicious. I know moms can be pretty tough, but I believe God gave men the, the innate ability to protect their families. This past week, I read a story uh, that happened on June 2nd. A guy named Charlie Winter 
was swimming with his daughter Paige at Atlantic Beach in North Carolina. So while they're there, some other swimmers, some other teenagers started shouting, Shark, and get her. When Charlie looked up, he saw Paige and about a five-foot trail of pink blood in the ocean water. His daughter Paige had been attacked by what they believed was a bull shark. Charlie didn't sit back and go, oh, well, you know, uh, help yourself, daughter. He did what every all-star dad would do. The story is that Charlie went over to where Paige was. He took hold of her. He simultaneously grabbed that shark. And then he began to punch the shark with all of his might, hitting it again and again. He said, I don't know how many times I hit that shark, but he punched that shark until the shark let go of his daughter, Paige. And then he took her to shore. The shark followed about, you know, elbows length away, but he left him alone. And when I read that story about Charlie and Paige and how he went and, you know, she suffered severe injuries, but something about a dad said, that's my girl. I don't really know what's got her, but I'm not going to let that go. I'm going to move in and do what I can. And I want to say thank God for every father in this house that would do whatever it took to stand in the door and say, you're not getting in here to my family. Jesus said that no one can come in a strong man's house and spoil his goods unless he first deals with the strong man. And whether you're physically strong or not, there's something inside of every man that says, I am standing at the door of my wife and of my kids and of my family. I am the provider, but I am also the protector. Amen. And it's not always as blatant as a shark attack or an intruder in your home that might be a physical attack. Sometimes it's much more insidious than that. Sometimes it might come in the pipeline of media or the influence of friends. But I'm calling today that every all-star dad would stand up and speak up and stand as the doorkeeper of your house and say, not my family. No, you're not coming in here. We're not bringing that influence in our home. That's my job. That's my job. I am the protector of my home. Amen. Sometimes, gentlemen, that means saying no. That means at times you're not looked at as an all-star dad in the moment. Only later, when you have the guts to do the right thing, does your family understand that our dad was looking out for us. God placed him there in our life to be a protector of us. That's just what all-star dads do. You are the protector of your home. Sometimes you direct your family away from danger. And sometimes, as I've already said, you stand in the door and you screen what goes on. And you may set curfews and you may do things that seem to be unpopular. But it is not motivated by a desire to control. It is motivated by the need to protect. The Bible said that Job prayed and offered sacrifices for his children because he knew that they might have sinned. Jacob wrestled with an angel all night long to make sure that his family would be protected. That's what all-star dads do. I thank you for being an all-star dad. 
also our dads are providers, and also our, also our dads can speak English, and also our dads are protectors, and also our dads are teachers, providers, protectors, teachers. Amen. The Bible says that it is the responsibility of fathers to train up their children. I want to show you Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Anybody believe that? Say amen. amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Beside him there is no other. Amen. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and he is in you all. Amen. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. But it was Christ that was in, a God who was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. One God, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. You're to love God with your entire being, and that makes you a powerful teacher. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in your heart. Not just in your head, but you've got to get it into the fabric of your being that you love this, that truth is a hill to die on. Truth is a hill to die on, ladies and gentlemen. And thou shalt teach them. Everybody say this is for fathers. In the Greco-Roman world, in the Jewish world, thank God for moms. I believe that Moses' mom brought Moses up and taught him. But it was the primary responsibility of the father to be the teacher of the law. To make sure, I'm not talking about civil law, the law of God. That was the role of a dad. Teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them. Everybody please say teach. Everybody please say talk. So there is the intentional teaching of truth from fathers and mothers to children. And then there is talking about truth to your children so they make sure it is reinforced every day. Teach it diligently to your children. And you'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it if you wait till they're old enough to make their own decisions you have waited too late we do not leave that to chance or a choice later in life but as soon as they're born and able to understand words you begin to teach them truth amen I've had the privilege of holding my grandchildren in my arms right after they were born. And each one of them, I said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And I said, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The first words I wanted them to hear from me is the words of the Word of God, because that is the role of an all-star dad, to be a teacher. Teacher to your children. Train them up. Bring them up in the way that they should go. You have to shape them while they're young. And the Bible says that the way you do this is very important. 
Ephesians 6 and 4 is my text today. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A sister verse is Colossians 3.21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So this is very important. We're going to teach them, but we're not going to beat them with truth. We're not going to coerce them with truth. We're going to entice them by the beauty of holiness, by the beauty of truth, to come into the church to see truth for the beauty that it really has and the blessing it will bring in your life. But here's, here's the key about this teaching thing. That a wrong attitude on the part of a parent will lead to anger and discouragement in the heart of a child. So if you're teaching truth or disciplining your child and you're harsh, belittling, overly emotional, emotionally charged, the Bible says that just the way you share good things can provoke something in the child that will cause them to be discouraged and to be angry and to be turned off from the truth instead of falling in love with the truth. The fathers are responsible for ensuring that they don't provoke anger in their children. So our attitude is important. So before you get out the magnifying glass to look at the attitude of your child, it would be a good idea to pull out the mirror and look at your own before you look at their attitude because it may be a reflection of yours. Now, I know in these same passages, the Bible said, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother right? That your days may be long upon the earth. This is the first commandment with promise. All of that is in these same passages. But it's so very important for those of us who are in a position of authority, whether you're a pastor, a parent, you're a teacher, and we should make truth beautiful and make it palatable and something that people want to do instead of feeling like they're being beat with the truth. Amen? Fathers are teachers. Everybody said amen about fathers or teachers. And you know what? The things you teach best are the things you actually live. When you personify the principles of truth, then you make that message very powerful. It has a tremendous impact for you to actually practice what you preach instead of just talking the talk that you walk the walk. Through my life, I've heard parents, I've heard fathers say to their children, now I know I've got some really bad habits in my life, but don't do what I do, do what I say. I know I do this and this and this, but these are really unhealthy things and you shouldn't do them in your life. And you know what children are going to do? They're going to emulate your actions more than they're going to obey your words. So I want to tell you today, fathers, that your most powerful messages come when you live what you're trying to convey to your children when it is just part of your life. Fathers are teachers, and they teach best by example. Godliness, prayer, worship, love, work, excellence, patience, whatever it is that you're trying to convey to your children it is most conveyed in the context of your example before them. And right now, right now, right now, there's a lot of dads 
that have got the mirror held up to them and they're like, oh man, I've got to take my button off right now. Don't feel like an all-star. Well, that's why there's a fourth point, that all-star dads are patient and merciful. The Bible says in Psalm 103, 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities or is compassionate on them that fear him. All-star dads are patient because all-star dads are merciful. All-star dads realize that children are children, that they are not adults. The Apostle Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. But until you are an adult, a man or a woman, you're still a child in the process of becoming. So that's why children from their parents, from their fathers, need a lot of patience and mercy in their lives. This growing up process is painfully slow, and there are times when it is not really smooth. And especially as a child grows out of their childhood years and through their sometimes tumultuous teenage years, there's got to be a father who is understanding and patient, who pities his children as the Lord pities every one of us. And I have to tell you, my amazing, strong, godly dad gets a button or two for being an all-star dad when it comes to patience. I know it's hard to believe and probably shocking for you that your pastor, when he was about 16 years old, believing for God, going to church, loving the Lord, but I had a really smart mouth. I had a sharp tongue. And I'm embarrassed of it. I'm not bragging about it, but I had, I was just too quick. Sometimes I said things just like, I just said things. My dad was a song leader in our church. Back then we had song leaders. And he was leading songs one Sunday and in his comments between the songs, that's why we don't do this anymore. My dad was making some comments and and he said something that I, in my 16-year-old mind, thought was really embarrassing and dumb. My dad embarrassed me. He wasn't trying to embarrass me, but he said something publicly in front of several hundred people that I thought, oh my goodness, dad, I can't believe he did that. Now, I have never said anything in 24 years of being a pastor that's embarrassed my wife or my boys. Never one time. Maybe just today, but you know. <clears throat> but so we're at, we're at the dinner table after church on Sunday. We're all sitting around, you know, four kids, mom and dad. I'm the oldest boy. I'm sitting there. And so I start mentioning that. And I I kind of poke at my dad and make fun of what he said. It doesn't occur to me that that's disrespectful or sarcastic, but I said it. And then, not only did I say that, but I was oblivious that what happened next was that my dad got up and left the table. Now, my dad was not, not a whole lot bigger than me, but at work they called him Popeye because of his forearms. My dad was a pretty tough dude, and at 16, I can guarantee you, he was a whole lot tougher than me. And if my dad would have wanted to, and maybe he felt like this, he could have knocked me into the middle of next week. And maybe you think he should have. 
And maybe you think I would have turned out a lot better if he would have. Now, I have memories of whippings, spankings, good spankings from my dad. They were good to him, bad to me, you know, and I didn't ever want another one like that. But I'm not talking about that. You know, a 16-year-old boy smarts off to his dad. If you're, if you're a man, the first thing you want to do is kind of like, Pow! don't lie to me like that. You're sitting there, oh, I would never think that. No. I'm sitting there eating Sunday dinner unfazed by what I just said, oblivious to the fact that my dad has left the table. My mother is a lot like her dad, very plain spoken, very direct, but, but in a kind way she said, you know, you hurt your dad's feelings. He, he left the table. And it's just breaking through in my 16-year-old mind at that moment, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I hurt my dad's feelings, and he should have killed me, but he didn't. And the thing that amazed me as I look back on that experience, I can't tell you why I had all this understood right then. So my dad knew something about my personality. My dad knew something about my nature. My dad didn't have a very good dad, so his self-esteem probably wasn't all that great, and the words of his 16-year-old son cut him pretty deep. But in spite of that, when my dad could have reacted in anger and could have knocked me into the middle of next week, my dad saw past my behavior to something inside of me that maybe patience would be a better course of action in that moment than radical response and doing something that could have provoked anger or discouragement in in me even though I was fully dead wrong. So a couple of years after that, maybe three, I was a freshman student in Bible college and a friend of mine went home on a break. I don't remember which break and was around my family some. And now, you know, I'm a few years away from this 16-year-old experience. I'm in Bible college. I'm going to be in training to be a preacher, you know. We're driving back to Bible college and my friend looks at me driving down the road in the car and he says, you know, sometimes you're disrespectful to your dad. And then it kind of comes crashing in on me. I had a frame of reference, a memory that's still very vivid in my mind of what I said when I was about 16. And now I'm thinking about how many times have I as a son not honored my dad and my dad has been so patient with me. So when I got back to Bible college, I sat down. Back in those days, you wrote letters with a pen and a piece of paper. And I I wrote my dad a letter. And I was very broken because I realized that I had an amazing father and that I had been disrespectful to him on more than one occasion. And I was essentially oblivious to how my words were cutting and sharp and my dad deserved a whole lot better than that from his son. So I wrote a letter to my dad and I apologized to him and I asked him to forgive me for the way that I had talked to him and sent the letter off and my dad got the letter and it was a week or two later, I don't remember how many days later, I opened to my mailbox, you know, in the Bible college, my little mailbox, I opened it up and there was an envelope, a letter addressed to me from my dad 
And my dad had written me back. He forgave me. And then my dad let me know that he wished he would have been a better father. And, you know, just like a lot of dads do, he thought of all the things that he didn't do better. And he should have gone fishing more. And should have gone hunting more. And should have played ball more. And I remember reading that letter like thinking, no, 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 dad, you're an amazing dad. You were all of those things and a whole lot more. I never deserved a father like you. And uh, I was so broken by that to think that my dad was so compassionate on me. He looked past my dumb behavior, my disrespectful behavior, to see that if he could nurture something in me, maybe one day it would turn out to be something good that would make him proud. And bring glory to God. Right now. Some of you fathers. Feeling a little bit like a failure. Because you. uh, Have fallen short. Of being the epitome of a father. You're not like the dad. In the Bible. Who had so much wisdom. When one son ran away from home. He was patient. And waited until he came back. And when the prodigal son came running down the road to his father, his father went running to meet him. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't chastise him. He didn't tell him all the things he had done wrong. He knew that that son had already changed his mind by the fact that he was coming home. And instead of a rebuke, he gave him a ring and a robe and a feast. And he welcomed that boy back into a place at the table. Not only did the father have patience and mercy on the prodigal son. When the older brother came into his dad and was smarting off and said, why did you do this for your boy? I can't believe that you killed the fatted calf and he wasted your substance on riotous living. He's he's gone out and done all these bad things and here's this older brother who's just railing on his younger brother and rebuking his father. But the father did not rebuke his older son. He just kind of said, son, you are ever with me. And all that I have is yours. This was the right thing to do. Your brother that was lost, he's now found. and He was dead and now he's alive again. You see, the wisdom of a father dealing with the nature of his children, each one very different, each infraction totally different, but both boys estranged from their father in their attitude, in their heart, and by their behavior. But the patience... And mercy of a father tried to restore the relationship of both those boys. And whoever you are today and whatever you've done, I want you to know that your heavenly father is looking down today with a tremendous amount of mercy. And whether you feel like you've been an okay dad, an all-star dad, or a miserable failure, and maybe as a child, can't make up lost years and you can't reel back in said words but today you would like mercy from your heavenly father would you bow your heads everywhere right now and let's take a moment to pray Jesus I come to you in this moment oh God Can I thank you enough, Lord, for your patience and mercy in my life? And I pray right now, Lord, for the wonderful men and women in this room who have come to church on Father's Day.
Help us, I pray, oh God, as fathers, Lord, to be providers, to be protectors, to be teachers, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us a double dose of patience and mercy. For, Lord, every one of us is in need, oh God. I ask you today in the name of Jesus Christ to let your mercy be extended, oh God. For none of us deserve it, Lord. But you give it to us in spite of our failures. I pray in the name of Jesus. And in this moment of reflection and quietness. Help us look up to you, O God. Help us receive, Lord, the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father. I pray for the person, Lord, who has been upset at you because they did not have a godly father in their life. I pray for dads, Lord, who, like all of us, Lord, have made a lot of mistakes. Forgive us, Lord. us find a way, Lord, to be reconciled to you with our families. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you just lift your heart to the Lord? Maybe just lift up your hands to Him. And would you thank Him for when we deserve to die, when we deserve to go to a lake of fire forever, in His mercy, Jesus Christ loved us. And he gave his life for us. Today I pray that years of hurt would melt away. Years of sin would be forgiven. As our heavenly father reaches down. And embraces us as his children. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said would you lift your voice right now. I know. I know you're really going deep right now, but would you lift your voice to the Lord and let your voice out a little bit and lift it up to the Lord and express some of what you're feeling on the inside. Let it come out. Expression of love to the Lord.